God's good, yeah? You know, sitting here thinking, when you, when you lead a church, you get to hear everyone's bad stories. You know, people come and they tell you the struggles and the problems because they want you to pray with them. I mean, not complaining, really. It's, it's how it should be. You know, you get to pray with them. You get to walk through tough things. You get to walk through some difficult times. But yeah, the other side is you get to, to hear the good stuff as well. Sometimes you're the last to know. Sometimes you're the first. It's all right. But you get to hear the good stuff as well. And I was sitting here, I could actually feel the pleasure of the Father. And I was looking around the room and, and just remembering the stories and the things that you get privileged to know as a pastor for different people around the room and, and just the breakthroughs and, and the excitement and the good stuff that God's done. And, and I'm going to preach, sure, sure, I'm going to preach actually. The kids want to go and do what they want to do. Or they can stay in. I'll just talk. But the Lord um, spoke to me at midnight. I had this thing about midnight last night, I don't know. They can go, I thought. Yeah. Because they want to go. Pa's heading out, he's the expert. We, we failed last week and so we brought in the uh, engineering expert and uh, <laughs> the problem was solved rather quickly. <laughs> it was very quick for me. <laughs> I, I just, I really sense that God's done some good stuff in people's lives, that God's speaking to people, that he's, he's touched you, that he's healed you, that he's given vision and breakthrough. And um, he gave me a word last night from Hebrews chapter 4. So let's just, if you've got your Bibles there, go there. Hebrews chapter 4. And this is the passage where, where God's talking about the Israelites and where they came to the promised land the first time. And Moses sent the twelve spies in and so on. But it says, therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest. When he talks about entering his rest, what he was talking about to them was moving out of slavery for 400 years. Out of walking through the desert for quite a while. They hadn't done their 40 years yet. And they're feeling tired. They're feeling weary. They've, they've just been oppressed their whole lives. And he's taking them into the promised land, which he calls their rest. But you see, when they walked in the promised land, the houses were already built. The fields were already ploughed, the trees were already grown, the fruit was ready. It was a land of rest and abundance. It says, therefore, since the promise remains, verse 1 of chapter 4, Hebrews, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. And I'm sitting there last night reading that verse. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. The word which they heard didn't profit them, not being mixed with faith 
with those who heard it. Just because you hear the word, just because you can speak the word, if you don't mix faith with the word, it has no effect in your life. I've seen the last night, and God's hammering this and hammering this, and I'm going, yeah, yeah, I know that, God. But he's hammering and hammering, and I'm going, why? And it wasn't this morning that Dale and I have a conversation, and, and she just said something, and it went off in my spirit. And I haven't had much sleep because he got me up at 5 o'clock this morning and I'm going through this and some other stuff. And, and I was dreaming all last night. It was a good dream, so it's all right. You know, I was running a marathon. I know that's a scary thought. <laughs> Dale and I were running a marathon together. Dale's, Dale's birthday tomorrow. She turns 25. Yes, yeah, she was winning. I was keeping up, just. Anyway, back to what we're talking about. Let, let me give you some context, all right? The Egyptians oppressed the Israelites for 400 years. And then, you know, the story of the Red Sea parting and the plagues and everything, all right? So they get delivered. And Moses leads them out, and they, they go the long way around, and they come to Canaan, which is the land that was promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Right? They go into slavery 400 years, come out, and so they come to this land. And Moses selects 12 spies. He says one from each tribe. And he sends them into the land, and they go through the land, and they come back, all 12, with the same reports. They all said, you know what? This land is flowing with milk and honey. It is so rich and fertile that, I mean, look at the grape. The grapes were huge. They said they're as big as pomegranates. So think oranges. Grapes the size of oranges. It took two of them to carry a cutting of grape on a great big stick. It was so heavy. Man, that makes some serious wine, Yeah. And it says, you know, they said, look, the place is abundant. The land is fertile. It is rich with minerals. Things just grow there it's massively. It's a wonderful place. All 12 of them said the same thing. All 12 of them said, you know what? The people there are huge. They had to be to handle the grapes. It's rich and fertile, but yes, there are giants in the land. And then the difference came. And this is the difference between facts and truth. Because all that was fact. But the ten spies went on and said, you know what? We've analysed the situation. We've carefully planned it out. We've used our logic and reason. We've looked at the situation in front of us. It is a wonderful place to be. But we've worked out that we can't go in because they're too big. And according to all battle strategy, according to all planning and logic, because you don't want to get too heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. We can't take it. We need to go back to Egypt and just be slaves again. We need to go and find somewhere else to be. Because they use good reason and deduction. They use their logic. And they worked out they couldn't, it wasn't a good battle to go into. The losses would be too great. They probably wouldn't win anyway. But Joshua and Caleb said, you've got it wrong. Yes, the facts are. They're big. But the truth is, 
Our God is bigger. You see, what it's saying here in Hebrews is they all had the same word. They all heard the same witness from God. They all heard the same command to go in and take the land. But only two of them mixed their faith with it. Only two of them said, you know what? My God is bigger. This is why we talk about going into the heavenlies. It's not just so you can have a good time. Oh, that's a nice side benefit, I've got to say. But we talk about stepping into the heavenlies and governing in the heavenlies because it changes your perspective. See, if you read back further, you read about why Joshua became the heir to Moses and not Aaron. Because Aaron should have been the one that replaced Moses. But why did God choose Joshua? Because you see, when Moses would go in the tent of meeting, he would meet face to face with God and he would come out. You'd have when he came out, Joshua would go in. Not Aaron, Joshua would go in. It's a one line in the Bible that makes all the difference. That Joshua would go in after Moses and hope that God was still there so that he could even just get a little bit of what God had. And God honoured that and met with Joseph. Joshua. Sorry, he met with Joseph too. But he met with Joshua. And so when the time came for Moses to step aside, Joshua was already in the place to step in and to lead the people. And that's why when it came to that, now they're there and they're facing the land, Joshua spent time in God's presence and so he was able to stand with Caleb and go, look, from our perspective here on earth, yes, it looks terrible and impossible, but let's go higher. Let's mix, let's mix faith with what we know. Let's step up higher into the heavenlies. Let's see this from God's perspective that God is bigger. Our God can handle this. His word says the facts are the giants are big, but the truth is our God is bigger. And the message God has for you is stop looking at everything from an earthly perspective because it's sucking your faith out. You know the Word of God. You've heard the Word of God. You've read the Word of God. And those three things are important. Because it says in Psalms, it says in Proverbs, to ensure the Word of God is both in your ears and your eyes. If you're sitting there going, I know it, I can recite it, you need to be reading it as well. You get those verses you're standing on that God's laid on your heart. You may be speaking them, but you've got to open your Bible every day and see them because it says the important that the Word of God, Psalm 34, is both before your eyes as well as in your ears. All right? Very important. But you also need to step up into the heavenlies and get God's perspective and stop being dragged down to earth and seeing your situation from an earthly perspective, see it from God's perspective. Get up there. Mix faith with what you're doing. 
Because everything in the natural will tell you that you can't have your healing breakthrough. Everything in the natural will tell you you can't have your financial breakthrough. Everything in the natural will tell you that your relationship is hopeless. Everything in the natural will tell you that your work situation or whatever situation you are facing is hopeless. But the Word of God says that by the stripes of Jesus, you were already healed. The Word of God says that Jesus became poor so that you might be rich. (coughs) Oh, Jesus. Sorry? I feel like I'm hitting concrete. So can you smash your own concrete? (laughs) Jesus. I I feel like I'm standing here with a sledgehammer and you're sitting there going, I'm not so sure I'm putting up a concrete wall. That's what it feels like. <laughs> Can I turn the aircon off? With a frozen chosen, eh? How's that? It's all about where you sit. You know that? If you're feeling hot, sit there. If you're feeling cold, sit over there. Or over there. Oh, Jesus. All right, I'm going to give you some word of God. I want you to take it in. Because this is... No, I know what God has had me here. The word of God to you this morning is to start mixing faith with the word of God because you're striving in your own strength. And he's saying, stop it. You're trying to earn your way through to your breakthrough. And he's saying to you, stop it. You see, the Israelites, when they came and faced Jericho, they simply had to be obedient. You know, 40 years wandering the desert, they come back. And they come to Jericho. And Joshua is out there and he's going, he's walking in the desert and he's praying. Do you know what he was doing when he's walking in the desert praying? He's seeking God's strategy. He's going, God, I need a way through. And he comes face to face with an angel. And that angel is God's messenger. And he looks at the angel and he says, Are you for me or are you for our enemies? And the angel replies and says, wrong question. This is my paraphrase version. The Philip Kinney version. But he says to him, wrong question. He says to Joshua, who are you for? Because I'm from the army of the Lord. And Joshua gets a new perspective. That it's not about, are you for me? Are you for them? It's, are we for God? Are we for God? You see, too often we go through going, God, are you for us? God, are you for us? And God's saying, wrong question. He says, are you for me? Are you for me? We spend too much of our life. We are conditioned in this world's thinking to say, is God for us or not? And you're facing situations and... and, This is really easy to do, and I think it's where most people slip into now, is they look at a situation and go, that must be the answer, and therefore put their fact into the answer. It's like if you're looking for a job. Say you're looking for a job, okay? 
And so you're praying, Lord, I need a job, Lord, I need a job. And then you're flicking through Seek, and up pops this job, and you go, oh, that's a fantastic job. And so you add your faith to that job. And you start praying, God, I pray breakthrough in this job. I pray this will be the job that I get. Lord, I add my faith to the job. And what you're doing is you're adding faith into the circumstance rather than adding your faith into what God is doing. Do you see what I'm saying? Whereas your prayer should be, you know what, Lord? You are the God who supplies all my needs. So I pray that you open doors for me that I can walk through into your blessing and your place. You the difference? Your difference is looking to God as your source rather than bringing God down to your level to bring a breakthrough. You're rising to his level. Does that make sense? That rather than adding your faith to what you can see, oh, this must be the breakthrough, what you're doing is you're stepping into the heavenlies with God before his throne and saying, you're my source. I trust you to provide the right work for me to be in the right place rather than trying to work according to what comes your way. Does that make sense? Yeah? Makes sense? All right? And I see that so often that people are going, I believe for this and it didn't happen. I believe for this and it didn't happen. It's like me going, you know what? I want to pay off debt. So I tell you what, I'm going to buy a lotto ticket and I pray God bless my lotto ticket. Because you're bringing God down to your circumstance rather than rising up to him and letting him be God and do it the way he wants to do it. And Joshua is out there and he's thinking, how am I going to take this city? How am I going to take this city? Jericho's got these massive walls. How am I going to take it? And the angel comes and he says, are you for me or them? And the angel says, you got the wrong perspective. Are you for God? And the Joshua's immediate response was one of humility. He fell down before the angel and worshipped. Worshipped God. And out of that, God gave him the strategy that he needed to overcome that city. Because he was able to add faith that was a God kind of faith. You see, we're trying to add our faith. But Mark eleven twenty two says, have faith in God, it actually says, have God's faith or the faith of God or a God kind of faith. Might be 23. It says, have God's faith. Literal translation. Have God's faith. Not your faith because your faith is useless. Just press the button, baby. Say all right, your faith is useless, but you have inside you God's faith. People go, oh, I don't know if I've got any faith. Are you saved? Are you saved? If you believe in Jesus, you have faith. Because it's impossible to be saved without faith. So therefore you have all the faith you need to have breakthrough in your life. He says you've got faith the size of a mustard seed. You can speak to the mountain and tell it to be thrown to the sea and it'll be done. But our problem is that we've stopped mixing faith because we're trying to bring God down to our circumstance rather than rising up to his level and seeing it from his perspective. We're trying to work in the world's wisdom and then add God's faith to it 
rather than stepping into the heaven and going, God, what's your breakthrough in the situation? You see, Joshua, if the world's wisdom would have been, okay, we take Jericho, we lay siege to Jericho, and we hold it until we starve them out. And then when we've starved them out, because it's the tactic of the day, you, you just surround the city until so no one went in, no one went out, no food went in. Eventually they became so hungry, in desperation they'd start killing each other. Or they'd throw open the gates and just surrender. That would have been worldly wisdom. It would have taken them years. They would not have enjoyed the fruits of the land for all that time. But God said, I've got a better day, better way. Let's knock this over in seven days. Yeah? You see, when you get into the world's wisdom and you start to add God's faith to you and what you think should happen, it becomes toil. It becomes hard work. And that's not God's way. You see, when, when you put Adam and Eve in the garden, gee, I tell you what, this is so much I just want to share. Oh, Jesus you have to stop sometime, I guess. But Adam and Eve in the garden, he put them there to tend the garden, but it wasn't toil. It was work. But it wasn't toil. Toil is hard, hard labor. And he says in Proverbs that he will give you wealth without toil. It doesn't mean you don't work. Do you know why you work? Oh, gee, just come from everywhere. You work so that you may have seed. You work so that you have bread to eat and seed to sow. Why do you have seed to sow? Because your sowing is what you actually harvest. It's where the blessing comes into your life. It's where wealth and riches come into your life from. It's where you get your breakthrough. It's where you activate your faith. Does that make sense? That's why you work. That's why the Bible says you work. That you may have seed to sow and bread to eat. That when you sow, wealth will come back in so you can sow more and you can make a difference. You see, we've made work our source. We've made doctors and hospitals our healing source. We've made counsellors our relationship source. And all these things aren't bad things. But they're not God's way. He says we need to start to step into the heavenlies and see our situation from his perspective. Because he says that wealth and riches are in your house by faith. He said healing and wholeness is yours by faith. He said restoration in your relationship is yours by faith, not through toil. But we're so busy toiling down here, trying to bring God down to our circumstances. And he isn't coming. Because you know where he is? Ephesians tells us he's what? Jesus is seated by the the Father in heavenly places. Do you know what he says in the next chapter? That you are seated in heavenly places. Not when you die. Now. That you have the authority to see everything from God's perspective because you are seated with him. 
And as you are seated with him and you see it from his perspective, you suddenly see that it's really small. That whatever you face is small. It's easy. It's like, you know, with a kid and you watch, I mean, Isaac, you know, he, he's part of um, yesterday's footy game was to make this banner to go on the wall. And that was a massive project for Isaac because, you know, he's, hey, the table's here and he's got this whole book and he's cutting out little triangles and then he's trying to get the words all right and spell them all right, which we got most of the way there. We're the West Coast Eagles. <laughs> Expensive team. <laughs> but, you know, and he, it took him probably a good two hours to make these little triangles and write out all the words and then, you know, try and staple them. He's laying across the middle of the lounge room with this big string and trying to stick on all these little triangles with this, make this banner and that became a big deal. He tried taping them and this and that. And I looked at that and we probably could have done it in about 15 minutes if I was doing it. But it took him two hours. And even then he had to have a bit of help to get it all done. That's how it is with God. You see, it takes God this much to solve the situation. But when we try and do it our way, we're like that eight-year-old sitting there trying to staple everything together and trying to put it all together. And when we're finally done, it still isn't right. Yeah, I remember. Let me finish maybe with this. Maybe. We'll see where God's going. We're not in a rush, are we? Hey? They're happy. Oh, Jesus. I, I just want you to break that concrete barrier that's sitting between you and God and get on top of it rather than underneath it, into the heavenlies. There's a story of, of a lady who, who was absolutely desperate. And I might have told you this story before, but who cares? But she was absolutely desperate. Um, her husband didn't have a job and didn't want one. He'd sit around the home and it was just, you know, a loudmouth, abusive type guy, drink a whole lot. Couldn't hold a job, so he just hung around home. They had no money. The daughter was almost, you know, the town prostitute. She would go out with guys all the time, would sleep with them, and just had no self-respect at all. Her son was pretty well the city town's drug dealer. You know, he would be hiding drugs in the toilet. He'd be dealing them out of his home and and everything else. And she, she was just so desperate because... They were about to lose their house. They had nothing left. And it was just horrid. And so in desperation, she was talking to a pastor saying, I don't know what to do. And the pastor had just joined a local group that would to get together and pray. And he said, just give me a minute. And he just prayed in tongues. Praying in tongues is powerful, people. It gives you revelation. That's why the devil fights it and makes it controversial. Because it's, anything that's controversial in the church means it's probably powerful. All right, And he said, look, we'd like to come and pray through your house. Can we do that? And she said, absolutely. Just, I don't care. I'm so desperate. This guy got 100 people to come around that house and to pray through that house. They said, we're going to go for an hour. We're going to pray through that. So they ran through this whole prayer network, got everybody in there. And they came and they packed in this house. It's a little tiny three-bedroom house. It was tiny. And there's 100 people packed in. They were so packed in that they were standing in the toilets. All right, because there was nowhere else to go. They were just like shoulder to shoulder right through this house. And for one hour, they just prayed in tongues. 
Nothing else. He said, look, we're just going to pray in tongues. And they did for one hour and just prayed and prayed and prayed in tongues. About 45 minutes in, the father falls on his knees in the lounge room and just gives his life to Jesus because he's just so overwhelmed by the presence of God. Within two days, the whole family was saved. The father by that week had a job, was delivered from alcoholism, The son and the daughter, lives totally transformed. He stopped drug dealing. She stopped sleeping with guys. Got her life together. Got married. Obviously not within a week, but the process started in in that one hour. The presence of God was so powerful on that house, they said that within a week, people would come and knock on the door. And they'd open the door and they'd say, Look, I'm sorry, I was just driving a few streets away and I saw this light and I just had to come. And they were drawn like moths to flame to that house. And she'd bring him in the front lounge and they'd start pouring out their story. And she said, person after person, they were leading to Jesus. Because for one hour, that house was filled with prayer. For one hour. This went on for months. The effect of that one hour, not just transform that family, but transform. They said it was almost a daily thing of people coming and knocking on the door and just feeling drawn to the house with no explanation and them leading people to Jesus. So not only did that family's life get turned around, but they started turning around the lives of a whole lot of people going by for one hour. Now what would our solution have been? Well, let's put them all in counselling. Let's send the son off to a drug rehab. Let's send the daughter to a doctor to make sure she gets checked over and then we'll send her to a counsellor and then we'll put her through months and years of therapy and, you know, let's go put the couple through a whole lot of therapy and, you know, we would have gone on for years and they probably still would have all fallen apart. God's solution was within one hour of prayer, he transformed that family plus a whole lot of other families. You see, we've got to stop trying to bring God down to our way and say, God, bless what I'm doing. And actually go up into heaven and say, God, what are you doing? Because when you step into the heavenlies and you approach the throne, and don't tell me the whole, I'm at the gates of heaven, bombarding the gates of heaven. They reckon it's about 750 miles from the gates of heaven to the throne. God will still heal you, but he's not at the gate. He's on his throne. And you know what? You don't have to bombard the gates because they're open. That's just stupid, isn't it? It's like saying I'm going to break into somebody's house and standing at the wall with a jackhammer when the front door's open. That's what it's like. He says in Ephesians, boldly approach the throne. Is that Ephesians or Hebrews? Hebrews. Sorry, I've been reading them both back and forward, 1 o'clock, 12 to 1 o'clock, going Ephesians, Hebrews, Ephesians, Hebrews, going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. And God's just giving me revelation after revelation. But he says to boldly approach the throne of grace that you might find mercy. We're saying, God, come and help me. He's saying, no, get up into heaven and help yourself. Help yourself to my grace. Help yourself to my mercy. 
help yourself to my goodness. Because Jesus already did it on the cross. And we nod our head and we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we try and bring Jesus back again. He's gone to heaven. When he comes back, it's to take us all home. He's put you here to enact his kingdom. So stop trying to enact the world's kingdom and make it look like God. The breakthrough you want is by stepping into heaven, getting his strategy and plan, and then stepping out and actually doing it. That's where the faith comes in. The faith comes in doing it. And I get a feeling around this room that we've seen some breakthrough, we've seen some breakthrough, but God is saying, you're not stepping into what I've told you to step into. You're not doing what I've told you to do. You're trying to find another way. And there's other ways if you want to wait years. Or you can do it his way. Joshua could have encamped around Jericho and they could have starved them out over years. Or they could have done what they did for seven days and take a whole city. Do you hear what I'm saying about adding faith? You've got the word of God, but you've got to add faith. You add faith by stepping into heaven and getting God's strategy and then stepping out and doing what he says. Because he says if you don't, you don't enter into his rest. It becomes toil, not rest. He says if we don't, we're just like the Israelites who came face to face to the land of Canaan and went... It's too hard. And what happened to them? They died. And we think, oh, God wouldn't do that. He did. Ananias and Sapphira. You know, just before you read Ananias and Sapphira, in the chapter before, in the verses before, because there's no chapters in the original written, it's about a guy called Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is one of my heroes. I love Barnabas. He is the unsung hero of the Bible. He is the guy that took Paul when he was Saul and nobody wanted to know him and made him who Paul is. He's the guy that took a guy called John Mark who nobody wanted to know, who had failed on a mission trip and rejected to be the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark where Matthew and Luke got their information from. That when Paul is dying in his last days, He says, send to me John Mark, because he's useful to me. He's the guy I want when I end these days. Barnabas is a hero. And Barnabas, when the church is in persecution, is the guy that goes out and sells his property and brings all of it to the feet of the apostles and says, use this to build the church. He's a hero. So he's a guy who had God's perspective on things, not man's. Because man's perspective says, don't trust Paul. Man's perspective says, John Mark is no good. But God's perspective says, I want them both because they're going to change history. And he's the guy that starts the whole selling thing. But then I asked Sapphira come along and they try and do it their way. What happens to them? They died. You see, when you try and do a little bit of God and a little bit of the world, 
The results aren't good. God is saying, I want all of you. I want you to get into your head and into your hearts that there is only one way to do things and it's his way. So stop trying to bring him down to our way and mix a little bit of faith. He says it's either faith or it's not. It's either faith or it's not. You can write that quote down. All right, I think that's enough for today, yeah? Anna says yes because she's out with the kids. All right, Let, let's pray, hey? We're going to take communion. The kids can come back in if they want to take communion. But we're going to take communion now. And I just want to get, while you've got your eyes closed, just to really understand what communion is. It's not just a thing we do to remember Jesus. It's actually our covenants. This is our agreement between God and us that if we do things his way, he will move in power in our lives and do the impossible. Yeah? So we take this to remember that agreement, that we don't live for ourselves, we live for Jesus, because he gave us all, and so we can give our all for him. That we can trust him. So I want to encourage you, as you take the bread, as you drink the wine, that you do it out of covenant relationship, saying, I'm in agreement with Jesus Christ. That whatever situation I face, I choose to do it his way. I take Jesus into me through this bread and enter into that agreement to live his way. I drink this cup that his blood mixes with my blood and I become one with him and live his way. That's what communion's about. It's about a covenant agreement. And he is not a man that he would lie. He can be trusted to uphold his end. That even when it looks impossible, he is the way through. Let's take this bread as it comes around and just give your life afresh to him. Commit to his way of living.